Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On the Verge, Season 2. And we are still riding high on all of these phenomenal musicians here in Nashville. Giving all my golfers a break. So today, we're bringing one of the hottest young artists in Nashville to tell us her story and see where we can go. Kelly Jean. Kelly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Well, to me, when I'm listening to your music and how you deliver your style, I love it. Thank you. One of the things that stands out to me is your voice is different great and it reminds me of two of my favorite singers natalie merchant from Ten Thousand maniacs and alanis morissette thank you you're welcome (laughs) when when you think about your influences that got you fired up enough because that means the fire has to be burning at like nine seven (laughs) okay to take on the industry and move from pennsylvania the Keystone State that we both love, uh, to come to Nashville, to the home of country music, to try to tackle this beast, you have to have a fire that is on f- just blazing and no plan B. Yeah. I, yeah. Right? So where does it come from and where do you see yourself now and going forward? So I guess it all started when I was really young. I've been singing since I was a child. My mom was a music teacher. Everybody else in my family is totally tone deaf. Everyone, except for my mom. And she has a beautiful voice. And it's kind of crazy because I was trained as a classical singer. Mm-hmm. So it was something totally different, singing opera, all those. Um, totally different than how I'm singing now, yeah. different style. And um, it's just... I was singing since I was young and then I kind of got sidetracked because I love math and I went to school, became an engineer and I just wasn't happy. 
I mean, math is great and all that, but it, it didn't light it. my fire, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> you have yeah. to be some kind of special person if math is lighting your fire. I know. No, I'm, <laughs> like I said, it's great. Engineering was a ton of fun, and that's what I went to pick, got my degrees in that. And then I was coming down to Nashville because I just wanted to sing. It's just mm. something, and I started writing my own music um, maybe not only a year ago. I started writing. Oh, it's been pretty recent. Yeah. Um, I started coming down to Nashville, playing in writers' rounds, and um, it just being around all the incredible musicians down here and seeing how amazing everyone is mm-hmm. just kind of lit my fire even more. And yeah. I was like, "This is the place that I need to be." When one of the things I talk about in sport is that I want my golfers to play other sports because I don't want you to become so body one-dimensional that you lose your athleticism over time. Do you sense that learning opera and training your vocal cords in a different way has given you an advantage today in singing the style of music that you sing? Yeah, I think it has definitely um, given me a little bit of an advantage for myself to be sound a little bit different mm-hmm. than how everybody's sounding. Definitely for opera, it comes from a different place. Um, definitely deep inside mm-hmm. and your breathing is a little bit different. So. I think it gives me that different style than what is going on in country right now. Mm, yeah. To me, like one of the, the most in, important pieces for, I want the listener to understand is that everybody desires that, that zone or flow state where things are just like, you're, you're, you're so present that you're not four words ahead in your song and you're not paying attention to what's going on in the crowd everything kind of melds into one. And one of the important pieces to that that's, that art singers hack into is breathing because the breath is obviously the key to being able to sing. So, right? so important. Yeah. So the ability to, you have to own your breath or you don't own the song. Right. Well, that kind of sneaks in the back door of the brain for optimum performance. When you think of you sitting on stage for the that first time where like time stood still and may have simultaneously gone a million miles per hour, that, that, that's that beautiful place of flow state where everything's so easy and yet it's happening so slow and fast at the exact same time. When was that moment that you remember like you were there, you were in the, the pocket, so to speak, where everything was easy? Oh, wow. It doesn't really seem like everything's easy. I'm always, like you said, thinking about it. But mm-hmm. I think it's when I was back when I was singing classical music when I was like 12. Mm-hmm. And I was singing, um, I was in this all-girls choir. And it was in that moment that I knew that I wanted to sing for the rest of my life. Because I auditioned for just the solo spot of this soprano part. And mm-hmm. um, I got it. And I remember standing in front of everyone during this performance and I remember just taking in that moment and being like you said present and mm-hmm. being able to hit those notes and just feeling it just feeling that joy and it just felt absolutely wonderful and, and to me do you sense that what is the most wonderful part is the connection between the song mm-hmm. especially if it's yours right oh yeah and the fact that people are moving with you as the words are coming out of your mouth? Is it the connection piece that's the most addictive? Or what is it that is like really captures your heart when you step on stage? I think, honestly, I think I just realized that that is the most addictive thing because I 
we were at a writer's round last Wednesday and we had someone who comes to our like rounds and listens to our songs and he's been listening to them and hearing your songs sung back to you or and hearing someone be so excited about what you have written and what you have felt Mm -hmm. that they have felt it too is just honestly like you said addicting and just makes you feel so complete in that moment well one of the things that's interesting okay a lot of the retired football players in, in, in the past when boxing was popular, they chronicled the boxers too, is that they have a hard time retiring because of the rush. Yeah. Okay, so fortunately you won't be being tackled or hit in the face <laughs> multiple Maybe. times a day. <laughs> but you never so know. You, you won't have to deal with the, the reasons why they have to retire. But what happens inside the brain when you're in that, that place, there are six chemicals that are released inside your brain that create that euphoric place that we're, that we're currently talking about. And one of the most interesting pieces to that is that every human alive is addicted to at least one of them. Okay. All six of those chemicals that are sent into your brain during flow state are sold on the street illegally as drugs. Wow. So that your body naturally produces all these things and it's what, and that all six of them coming together puts you in flow state. Okay. So the connection piece would be a dopamine. It makes you feel like you're wanted, you're desired, and you desire that feeling back. So there's a mutual dopamine connection between the people that are listening and you singing. And that's what keeps George straight on his ninth retirement tour. <laughs> because yeah. at the end of the day, he, he's really tired. Obviously, it's the grind of the road, especially the road to how long as he's right, been on it. yeah. But at the end of the day, there's only so long you can sit on that rocking chair on your porch and you're like, you know what? I got to go see my people. Right. And that is the, the beauty. And in the world we live in today where there's so much less human connection, one thing that I think is going to keep music going strong is that it's one of the very few things left that connects everybody. And they like you. You don't Instagram a song, right? No, no, no. You you have to experience it. And I sense that the music industry is also shifting toward because it's not about album sales anymore. Now it's like getting your face in front of people and butts in the seats, right? You know, and that's what it's going to take. When you think about, and it's it's early because, like you said, you're a year in, but you have to be a dreamer. Yeah. What what dreams are you staring at that you want to? turn your career into? Wow. Um, so many, but I guess I well, kind no of limit in this. So, this show isn't. doesn't end until you're done. <laughs> I do this kind of weird thing, um, where I have like short, short term goals and then long term goals mm-hmm. and like a few short term goals, like within the next three to six months, I would love to be playing at the bluebird. Like I haven't played there yet. That mm-hmm. is one place that I am just dying to play at, um, and have people listen to our songs there. Um, it's just such a historic and iconic place here in Nashville. Yeah. Um, the bluebird and then down the road, the Opry, like that is a huge dream of mine mm-hmm. and just being able to be out there and performing and doing this for a living doesn't matter how big doesn't, none of that matters, but being able to have people, like I said, sing your songs back to you, have them connect to your songs, have them understand this place that you're coming from because songs have been like 
topics have been written about over and over and over Mm -hmm. again, but they've never been written from your perspective and having somebody understand your perspective and understand what you're saying Mm -hmm. is just amazing. So being able to do that is just such a huge goal of mine and being able to get it out there to as many people as possible. Yeah. I think that it's important. I was, I was interested to see where your, your comments were going to go because I'm sure you know this, but it's hard to sometimes obey it when you are living it. Yeah. Is that, it's not about the end destination. It's about the journey. Yeah. And if you don't appreciate the club scene, then the bluebird scene, then the Ryman and the Opry and then the football stadium. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, un- if you don't appreciate each step and you feel like, cause I was actually just before you came in, I was speaking to Greg Harrington, who is the drummer for Martina McBride. And he was like, just make sure you tell her there's no plan B. There isn't. And don't miss a step. Enjoy playing in front of 10 people because 10 people will become 30, 30 will become 100, and it just begins to go. And I thought that was really powerful because if you're a dreamer, you're always seeing yourself in front of so many people. But even Taylor Swift started in front of 10. Yeah. And I think that was like, wow, I hadn't really thought of it that way. But that's what it really takes is – Well, you already have it. You have your short-term goals. Mm -hmm. Bluebird. Grow from the bluebird to something bigger, something bigger, and something bigger. And then, more than likely, if you get to the bluebird and you get to the next stage, you'll start to see bluebirds across the country. Yeah. Go to St. Louis. Go to Louisville. You know, go travel around. What do you... Have you spent much time on the road at all with your music? So, um, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, We... Since we're from Pittsburgh, we do travel to Pittsburgh and we stop mm-hmm. in some places like Columbus. We've been um, to oh. a few places in Columbus. We played at Scully's, which is a really cool venue yeah. if you haven't been there. Um, we played in uh, West Virginia. It's called the Gold Rush and it's kind of out there. It was such a cool environment. They were such great people. Um, so we, we've been playing around regionally a little bit. Um, we're hoping to get out so much further, but I'm so lucky because I was able to move down here with my whole band. Mm -hmm. We all live together in this house and it's a lot of fun. Um, but we're all from Pittsburgh. We started there. We were playing together for, I don't know. I think it was like around six months. And then, like I said, I was coming down to Nashville and I was like, this is where I need to be. And then finally I met Leslie Fram who is from CMT. Mm-hmm. And honestly, she's one of the most amazing women I have ever met. Um, nicest as can be. And she's really just such an advocate for women in country mu- music. And she's part of change the conversation, um, which is a organization here in Nashville too. Uh, mm-hmm. and all over about, um, getting women in country music equal playtime. And, um, I was able to meet her and, she was, she, I talked to her and I usually I email people like immediately, like the next day and she emailed me back before I could even email her about being a part of CMT's artist mentorship program. Oh, cool. So once I heard about being a part of that and um, getting involved in that, I was like, this is the sign that I needed that this is finally what tipped me over the edge to bring me down to Nashville. So I told the guys, I was like, Hey guys in my band, I'm like, I have to move down to Nashville. Like maybe we could keep this band working. Like I could come up to Pittsburgh, like we figure out and they're like, no, let's all go. Cause this is their dream too, yeah, like playing perfect. music. So we all just moved down from Pittsburgh and, um, it's been two months now. So, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Who are your major influences Growing up, who was in your ear that you wanted that that got your heart and your energy going when it comes to the music that you Um, sing? So, 
definitely a little bit of both. Um, lots of different things. Like my dad loved Pearl Jam, all mm-hmm. that fun stuff. Um, my mom loved Queen. And like I said, she was oh, a music yeah. teacher. So she's on the piano playing Bohemian Rhapsody, singing it, and I'm singing it with her. And it was a ton of fun. Um, so Queen, Pearl Jam. Um, I hear this a lot too when I'm down here. I love the cranberries. Oh, and yeah. I hear, we, we do this just for fun because I hear that. I sound like that singer yeah, too. True. Um, I about that. So we sing um, that zombie song that uh-huh. they do. We do our own little version of it. So um, we do that just for fun. So I love the cranberries, but um, Dolly Parton, Sarah Evans, um, mm-hmm. all those, Martina McBride, mm-hmm. those people, just Patsy Cline, just really, they're amazing artists and yeah. um, their songwriting is amazing as well. Well, I think that the, the, the diversity that you just talked about there, is critical because, you know, it's 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 easy to get sucked into that first song that puts you on the map. I got to do more of that. Yeah. When in all actuality, it's the diversity that keeps you, you know, thriving and going. And as I'm, you know, being in a couple of music forums, the thing that I keep hearing is the guys that are my age now, in the mid forties, are complaining that their favorite bands don't sound like they did when they were. 22 and I'm like well guess what they're not 22 you know they're not they've evolved too but you are listening from a past mindset you're not you're not traveling with them and I think it's so funny like people criticize musicians for evolving right instead of if you want to listen to Pearl Jam 10 well then just play Pearl Jam 10 (laughs) (laughs) if you want to hear what I got coming out my new album comes out in March. You know, so what, what's that's so critical because you can be like, you can throw a little Patsy Cline in, and then you can veer into some cranberries, and nobody knows where you're going. Right. And the the idea of keeping your audience on the edge of their seat, not knowing where you're going to go, and because you're new at it too, like new to the scene, yeah. people don't know what you're going to do, and they're like, wow, this girl's got range. She's diverse. And there's nothing predictable. And I think non-predictability is amazing to have as an artist. Yeah. So to me, that's what I, I would love to, I, I'm going to be looking forward to watching you evolve is because oh, you, have, you. Yeah. you have a voice that can move around. And you can go, you can go classic country, you can go contemporary country, you can probably throw a little bit of like, poppy country in there yeah mm-hmm. and that that stands to reason that there could be a long career in that because of your voice and that's that's oh, the beauty thank you of and fingers crossed but yeah um when, especially when writing I'm not thinking of a genre and I don't think any of us when we're writing a song are thinking of a genre to fit into we're just thinking of writing a really good song mm-hmm. and um, lately it has been like kind of totally different like we have this one song called On His Mind and it will be hopefully released here as a single pretty soon which is definitely more of a country pop tune mm-hmm. but there's also a song that I wrote with a friend from um, the CMT mentorship program her name's Brittany Monroe and she's She's awesome. Um, but we wrote this song and it's definitely very like country, country, like nineties country sounding totally out of the box. And it's nice to be able to write with other people because it definitely takes you out of your box and takes you out of that mindset. Awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. That is so cool. So when, when you are writing, Mm -hmm. 
Is that the hardest part, the funnest part, or the easiest part of the of the career of a musician? Um, I think it totally depends on if you're writing with someone mm-hmm. and if you jive with that person. Because sometimes you don't, and that doesn't mean that the other person isn't a great writer. Just yeah. sometimes your writing sales are different. Um, but I find it to be super fun because I think of... Um, I really start with, when I write, and it's totally different for everyone, I start with an idea. And usually I get my ideas from just random things, like the song that I was talking about that I wrote with Brittany Monroe. Um, it started with, um, I saw this this thing and someone was like, oh, that girl's just crazy. And my mom has always told me, if someone's crazy, they didn't drive themselves that way. So that's what this song, the song is about this girl that might be crazy. Everybody says it's crazy, but she didn't get that way herself. So, um, it started with that idea and, um, it was a lot of fun to write it because we were just sitting, eating popcorn, having some, uh, Trulies or white cloths <laughs> <laughs> and, um, just writing the song and having a great time. Um, but, when you're writing by yourself too, I always start with an idea and it's just fun to get those ideas on paper. Because like I said, lot songs have been written over and over and over again, like mm-hmm. topics, like it's hard because everybody has experienced life, but they have never been written from your point of view and getting that idea on paper is so much fun. Sometimes it can be hard. Like you have this idea and you're just like, it just won't work, but you just got to step away from it for a little bit. But no, I find it to be the funnest part yeah. of it. I think the pressure of trying to write a good song. Yeah. When you're when you're not in the right place in mm-hmm. your mind. Like if it's all about trying to write a hit song, it's really challenging. Yeah. If you're trying to express a story, that's easy. 100%, yeah. And but it's hard because if you're if you've been in Nashville for 7 years and you're still haven't had it, you feel like that might be what's pro- the problem. I'm not trying to write a hit song. I'm just and you start to doubt yourself. Right, yeah. And one of the cool things about music, which is an art, and one of the same as my sport, golf, is because there's no such thing as perfect, there's no limit to how good you can be. So the, the part is, is you got to love what you're doing, which is key, and don't chase the dream. Chase the best version of yourself every day, yeah. which will be the key. When you're writing songs, do you hear the melody in your head as you're writing the lyrics, or do you write the lyrics and then let the the timing of the flow that you want the words to be sung start to impact the guitar, drum, bass scenario? Sometimes, it all depends. Sometimes I hear the melody first and then sometimes it's definitely lyrics and then it's definitely the feeling of the song. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I'm writing with someone, sometimes they're just playing on their guitar, just random chords and you're just playing and you're like, I like that. And that's what I want to go with. Mm -hmm. And you kind of just like make it work with your song. So it it all depends. Um, But for me, usually it is the lyrics first. Interesting. Yeah. Because, like, to me, my, my favorite band is Tool. So Tool, mm-hmm. the drummer, the guitar player, and the bassist, they play the music, and they get the music where they want it. And the lead singer is off doing the other hundred things that he does in his, in <laughs> yeah. his career. And then they say, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. We have it. They send him all the music files, and then he listens to the songs, 
And whatever he feels the songs do to him, that's where the pen starts to hit the paper. Yeah. But that's not how every band works because obviously mm-hmm. Coldplay does something very different. Pearl Jam does yeah. something very different. And I just think that there's no, I think it's important for people out there that are young and are considering getting into music. Remember that there's no script. Right. It's just find what works for you mm-hmm. and ride that train, but look to evolve. Look to find different different ways that are like not separate from you, but you can add to you. And that is what it takes to be awesome at anything, let yeah. alone awesome at, at music. So when you think about the greatest concert you've ever gone to go see. Oh, gosh. What's the greatest concert you've seen? Oh, wow. Um, this might be a little bit crazy. There's no such thing as crazy. But I don't go to a lot of concerts. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, I just haven't really been to too many concerts, but I've been to a ton of writers rounds Mm -hmm. and I think that is what I have loved the most about being down in Nashville. And there's this writer round on, um, Mondays at the listening room and it's called let the girls play. And it's, um, with the song suffragettes Uh and it's one of the most amazing rounds because you see all these um, female songwriters performing in their songs and they're just really top notch. And, um, I go there and get inspired, but any like writers rounds have really changed the way that I have viewed writing and music because it just, everybody down here in Nashville is amazing. Mm-hmm. Everybody amazing in their own way. And they just want to make you be more amazing. So going to writers rounds, especially, um, there's some at the live Oak on Wednesdays called women crush it rent Wednesday. Um, there's a lot of stuff at the tin roof that I love to go to, um, a bus call where it's full bands doing oh, their original wow. songs. And that's a ton of fun. I bet. Yeah. So I, I went and saw that, but, um, no, I'm trying to think of what concert I really want to go to a Taylor Swift concert. So do I. I uh, really she's want on my, to. She's on my bucket list Yeah. of, because I'm interested in the people who step on stage and grab you. Right. And she might not have the greatest voice of all time, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make a difference because she connects. She is an ultimate connector. And she she's definitely you. evolved. One of those artists, like you were saying, she has evolved from beginning to right now and has reinvented herself. And after watching um, her documentaries and her behind the scenes of her tour and everything, it's just amazing. She puts on one of the best shows. And I've like, I saw it and I was like, I need to be there to experience that show. And she, I think she's definitely very much an underrated songwriter. She is amazing. And those songs that she just pumps out like no tomorrow and just, she's definitely out of the box. Like Mm -hmm. she's not confined by any genre. She's just willing to put it all out there. And it's amazing. Yeah. I think that she deserves a lot of credit. Not so much that Martina McBride and Patsy Cline and and Linda Ronstadt and Reba, that yeah. they don't, okay? But none of them reached Taylor Swift, her, her trajectory. Mega superstar. Yeah. So that leads me to a question that is very interesting to me, and it may not be easy for you to talk about, okay. but I'm very interested in it. Uh-oh. <laughs> How challenging is it? being a woman in this industry? Oh, wow. Um, actually, I love talking about this. So Good, because I'm very fascinated by it because it's something that 
when I hear the stories, the bad stories, it makes me so mad and so sick that there are things like that are going on. Yeah. But to like G-rate the problem. Right. I tell people this all the time. On, as you get closer to the top, there are more feet on your head than there are hands reaching down to lift you up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it takes like, like if I ever something that you virtual, what would you tell me to do? I'd be telling you to be mindful of the present, but also know that the closer you get to your dreams, you're going to be bizarrely held down. I think guys do too. I don't think it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, it's a different kind of held down. Right. Um, be ready before you get there to persevere. Like you have already had to have persevered in your head past all the feet on your head. And you, if you're prepared before you get to that point, the person who's trying to hold you down or the group of people, they'll sense that they might not be able to. Yeah. And to be able to visualize that is essential because if you are only, I'm not saying you as I'm right. anybody out there, yeah. is just naive enough to think that everything's just going to, everything's going to be easy or everything's just going to keep going at the same trajectory. They are grossly mistaken and you have to be ready for it. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think it was really important. You just got my mind going. Yeah, like, I know. That's yeah. really important. How are you facing the challenges? So I think that's one of the things is knowing that it's not going to stop me. And I don't, th- I think right now is a time in country music where things are changing, where things hopefully are going down the right path. Like CMT is having an equal play where they will play the same number of music videos from male mm-hmm. artists as female arti- artists. And, um, I think change the conversation is a great organization here in, um, Nashville. There's women in music here in Nashville and it's just about lifting other female artists up. And we are all in this together. Um, sometimes it is a little bit discouraging where there's like things that have come out, especially on Twitter, where there's a radio station that has said that they can't play two female artists back to back just because they're saying that that's not what their listeners want to listen to, which I think is complete craziness. Um, I, my favorite artists are female artists and I mean don't get me wrong I love male like mm-hmm. Cole Swindell amazing songwriter amazing artist yes, yes. Um, Morgan Wellen amazing I love all of them um, but some of my favorite, Kelsey Bellarini Casey Musgraves oh, Marin Morris and they haven't let them let it take them down either like Casey Musgraves she won Grammys, right? And her songs weren't played on the radio. She didn't stop, like you were saying. She just kept pumping those songs out, and she knew what she wanted, and she went for it. So seeing that is really inspiring and just trying to get in that mindset. Coming from um, an engineering background and a mechanical engineering background in the chemistry field, mm-hmm. um, being a woman in those fields as well, it I was like the only – some of one or two – females in my class. So being in a background where it has is it's where women are underrepresented 
to begin with kind of maybe makes this a little bit where I'm like ready to take this on and nothing's going to stop me and my songs, I'm just going to put them out there and hope that people love them because that's all that matters is people loving them and hopefully touching them and making them feel something. Um, But right now, like I said, I think here in Nashville, there's a lot of change happening and I think it's in a positive direction. And I think seeing female artists really stick up for each other and being there for each other, like Kelsey Bellarini, um, put out on Twitter and on Instagram how she is being played on the radio and how she is saying, she's like, I'm being played on the radio, but other women need to be played to you. Like saying, I don't care if this is going to be bad for me. I think this is wrong. Like, do you know what I mean? Like really sticking up for women and getting them played on the radio. I was even talking, um, I was at a CMT event and Sarah Evans came and talked to us and Side note, she's the nicest person ever. Like, amazing. She is so nice. And her daughters sing with her, too. Like, her whole family does. Like, she does a Sarah Evans family type thing, and they're they're amazing. But um, she was talking about it, how it has definitely changed for her as well because she's an older woman woman in the industry Mm -hmm. and how it's harder for her songs to get on the radio now, too. And it's just crazy to me, like crazy that there are so many amazing female artists and sometimes it's just hard to get their songs on the radio just because of the mindset that people are in. Yeah. I think that we're, we're currently in a very unique time. Okay. For the longest time, like since America, I don't know, rewind that tape, not even America, since there has been time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Generally speaking, the the male has been the guy who's out there. He's killing the animals and bringing the animals <laughs> yeah. home. And the, the female is the building the nest and preparing for, you know, the, the husband to come home with the water buffalo on his back. And now there's equal. There's, there, yeah. the, and we're heading toward equal. We're not at equal yet, but we're, we're heading towards equality. So now the, the, the system that the the foundations of family have been built on are being rattled and shaken up because now women are their own professionals. Mm-hmm. And what I'm sensing on the the side of relationships is that guys aren't comfortable with a really successful woman early in, like in the tw- in their 20s. Yeah. It's very challenging. And women are sensing that they don't need somebody to have some type of financial stability. They can do it themselves. In that independence, there has been a massive shift in what is considered important in life. Yeah. And I'm, I would love to hear your take on this particular question. When you... I think we're headed towards something beautiful, which is for the longest time, maybe a a hefty percentage of relationships were not founded upon true love. They were founded on a sense of comfort and stability, and I'll sacrifice my heart for a a better life. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And now there's a lot of really attractive smart, strong women. They're like, wait a second, I don't need no guy for that. I can do it myself. But with that comes a, the, the woman's mind has to change about what a relationship is as well as a guy's mind has to change on it. But that's a really big, that's a massive change in the cultural landscape that the, 
the woman's like, I don't need that. <laughs> and But I still think that for the longest time, a lot of relationships were not founded on what is considered love. It is considered comfort, financial yeah. comfort. When you think about the strength of where the women's movement is, is right now, think not just music-wise, but globally in a variety of ways. What does that sentence and those questions resonate in your head when it comes to where you're going as a woman? Oh. Wow. Um, I guess it always, not to go back to Taylor Swift, but to go back to Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. when she was on the red carpet and there was an interviewer um, and um, it was actually a female interviewer too and they were like, well, you look amazing in that dress. Um, you're going to be going home with a lot more than awards. You're probably going home with a man tonight. And she was like, I will not be going home with a man. I will be going home by myself with awards. And I think her just stating that professionalism and business and thinking about music is what she wants in life. And I think that's definitely what is on my mind to you. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like songs and getting the best stuff out there for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think just really being focused. And I think that maybe now to women and men are also thinking earlier in their twenties are thinking about their professional goals yeah. where they haven't maybe have been in the past where they're really focused on where they want to get themselves in life. And, um, I have a lot of friends who like are older and in their like thirties, mid thirties who are like just thinking about their professional goals and that's what they want in life. And they're not worried about having a relationship or worried about, um, Family. any of that. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's definitely different than when, I think my parents' generation, right? Like mm -hmm. my mom and dad, I think um, my mom at the age of, I don't know, I'm trying to think, don't kill me, mom. I think <laughs> at the age of um, 27, she was married and she had me, right? Yeah. Like, and um, I can't even imagine having a family. <laughs> I can barely take care of myself. So I can, I don't even know how she did it. And I have brothers and sisters and we're all a year apart and she's taking care of, all of us. And I can't imagine how she did, but I think, like you said, it's more focused on the goal of where you want to be professionally and what really sets you on fire and what is your passion. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that will take literally nine generations to change is the maternal instinct mm -hmm. to, to raise a family when it happens. So one of the coolest things I will be telling you is that I can promise you this, you'll never be ready to have kids until you have one. And then <laughs> you'll be like, what the heck was I waiting on yeah. moment? Yeah. So there's no rush, but I mean, don't think that you'll one day, like, I think I'm ready. Yeah. You'll be like, cause it, oh, you'll think about all the things that you're not going to be able to do anymore or things that will be much more challenging to do. Right. And then you'll hold that boy or girl in your and like, uh, yeah, that doesn't matter anymore. Aww, yeah. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, it's like when you have a child, like the, the, that version of yourself dies the second the, wow. the child comes yeah. out. Like that, it's like whatever you are on that page, period, next chapter. Like that, that chapter of the book is dead and gone. That person is gonzo. So you won't have to worry about that part. But it's definitely, there's no rush. Yeah. Go do what you're supposed to do and everything else will, 
will fall into place. It's when we try to control right. outcomes oh, 100%. That, are, that are negative. So. I have this mindset that everything happens for a reason. And sometimes I'm always worried that did I wait too late to pursue this dream? Like, um, did I wait too late to move down to Nashville? Like, did I, should I have went to pit, like done this engineering stuff? Like I wish sometimes I'm, I get in my head and I'm like, I wish I started earlier. I wish I started when, um, I'm awful with names, but she was on your podcast and I listened to her. We were just talking Marissa, about her. Marissa yes. McKay. How young she is and how amazing she is and how she is pursuing this dream. Like right now, I'm like, man, I wish I moved to Nashville when I was 15 years old and started then. But then I'm like, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Everything happens in its own time. And there is a reason why I'm in Nashville right now. There's a reason I wouldn't be writing the songs that I'm writing right now. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if I came down here earlier. So I try to think in my head, like you can't control everything, which is hard for me because right. I try to, but, um, just knowing and taking it as it comes is something that I'm really trying to do. Well, you just got to control the controllables. <laughs> yeah. If you can control the controllables and let go of control over things that literally you have no control over, you'll be much happier that way. Now that's significantly easier to come out of my mouth than it is to actually <laughs> Yes, do. put it into action. <laughs> but, yeah. but it is it is, it is definitely a key. So at this particular point, we generally shift away from what makes you, you, and talk about the things that recharge your batteries. Okay. But before we do that, we're going to do something else. You're going to be the second person to play a song oh on The Verge. Gosh, I'm so, so excited. you get to tell me, what song are you going to play for us today? Do you want to play On His Mind? Yeah, Let's it's it. one of the first ones that we've ever written together. And this, Chase, will, I am learning how... I play guitar very, very, very poorly. <laughs> I play it for songwriting, but Chase is teaching me and I'm getting way, way, way better at it. But um, Chase is a great guitar player, so that's why... Well, I'm, comes along to everything. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm to, excited to to, uh, to hear this. So, the name of the song is again. It's on his mind. On his mind. Yep. And I am all about it. So what I'm going Thank to do, you. I'm going to transfer my microphone so that we can get a little guitar. I was really impressed how good Marissa's song sounded. Oh yeah, all, it on sounded the podcast. amazing. I was like, oh, I wow. Loved it. So I'd like to thank my sponsors for all the awesome <laughs> technology because, by golly. We it are sounded rocking. great. Yeah, so here we go. On his mind. Let me try to move all this Starbucks coffee out of the way. <laughs> Maybe we can get a new sponsor fueled by Starbucks. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, kick it. If it's a Friday night or a dinner here mimes Turning a piece of wood into a home-baked guitar He thinks about so many things And keeps me hanging by a string If it's singing to a girl or down in shots It's on the cut grass of a two-acre lot what makes him so blind to see why can he take the time to notice me? Thinking about drives, 
Dirt bikes, thinking about everything he likes. Thinking about bands, beer cans, gear shift in his right hand. If I could be the one in his head, his once upon a time, I'll be right where I wanna be. The next thought on his mind. Whether it's a football game or a dog boy, a 12 point buck or an old beater for what thoughts are going through his head and why can he think of me about drives, dirt bikes, thinking about everything he likes, thinking about bands, beer cans, gear shift in his right hand. If I could be the one in his head, his once upon a time, I'd be right where I want to be, the next thought on his mind. Thinking about drives, dirt bikes, thinking about everything he likes, thinking about bands, beer cans, and the day he'll be my man. Thinking about drives, dirt bikes, thinking about everything he likes, thinking about bands, beer cans, gear shift in his right hand. If I could be the one in his head, his once upon a time, I'd be around where I wanna be. The next thought on his mind. The next thought on his mind. On his mind. On his mind. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing. Thanks, Chase. Chase rocking it. <laughs> I know. Lovely. Fantastic. Thank well, you. You, you, when the last time I was at Starbucks, we had a nice conversation <laughs> yes, about did. golf and how golf played a uh, a role in your in your youth. It not did. That, not, not that you're old, but, <laughs> but, but talk to us about what, like, how you got involved in golf and what does golf mean to you today? So I really got involved in golfing. Um, my dad. Mm-hmm. Has always been golfing. I remember on Saturdays, oh my gosh, don't kill me, mom and dad. <laughs> I remember on Saturdays or Sundays, my dad would go golfing in the morning um, and it would, he would be gone for hours and hours. And I was like, man, I want to spend time with my dad and I'm going to take up golfing. And you want to know what? He wanted us to golf. And he, all my siblings and I, he got us lessons and he told us that um, this was going to be a skill in life, no matter what. Um, being able to go on the golf course, talk with your friends, talk business, um, it was something that would be um, really useful for us and also a way to clear our mind. I mean, you go on that golf course, you're playing 18 holes, you're gone for a few hours yeah. and you're just in that moment, yeah. like you said, that moment. And, um, it was something that we started when we were younger. And then there was this program called the first T. Yeah. Um, and I was in the first T program with my siblings and it was a ton of fun. Um, just being able to do that with my family. Yeah. I believe that if you can figure out how to connect golf and business for you, yeah. In, uh, as in the summer times here, I would say it starts right around, right around just a little bit past the Masters. 
all the way through until the, in my opinion, the best part of Nashville is like September, October up to Thanksgiving. Ooh. There's a lot of what I call the disease tour. You know, they have all the fundraisers for all the cancers mm-hmm. and all the, all the things that need money behind. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if you get involved, then I would tell you that Hermitage Golf Course. Okay. Gaylord Opryland's golf course, Gaylord Springs, um, the Legends Club in Franklin. They're the the outing factories. If you could figure out a way to find out who the coordinators are of the events, especially the ones that then do after after golf, like food, drink, yeah. and you're going to find yourself in front of, first of all, those are the people that have the money. Right. Okay. So they're the people that know the people that know the people that need to help you. You already play good golf. If you play good golf and you're like, Hey, how about I'll do something for the, for the tournament. Yeah. I'll play a 45 minute set while everybody's getting their barbecue and baked beans and potato salad. Yeah, I'll play tell them blue in the face. Yeah, like. And that's what I'm saying <laughs> is that, those like that is using your gifts to help take you to another place. Now I teach, I've taught uh, Dirk Bentley and I've taught, um, I've been with Vince Gill a bunch and, and those guys use golf massively to, to like, it gets a connector and it's something that makes people feel like they get a little bit more in touch with somebody. Yeah. And it's another way to connect. And a beautiful thing about golf and why I, I deep down inside believe it'll never die. There are not many things left in this world where you can spend four and a half, five hours of time with somebody doing something that everybody loves to do in a beautiful mm-hmm. setting. It's challenging, yes. But at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, there aren't many things left that we can spend four or five hours doing that everybody's enjoying. Yeah. Having fun. And you get a chance to learn about people there as well. Because you might find yourself being thankful that you got a chance to meet this person so that you don't go down the business route with them. Right. But it's also, once again, because the sport lends itself to the wealthier groups because of the expense of the sport, Mm -hmm. they are the people that know the people. Right. Or they're the ones that can really help. And if you deliver a smile, play. You don't have to play LPGA Tour Golf. you got to look like you know what you're doing. And you can sing like you obviously can sing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It becomes like Ace of Spades. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. When, you know, it becomes something that you can calculate and know. You're letting the secret out of the bag. <laughs> it is, isn't a secret because at the end of the day, you, that'll, that'll be a gift that you'll never lose. Yeah, I know. And I appreciate my parents giving me the opportunity and my parents have given me so many opportunities and learning how to play golf was one of them. Like you said, just being able to get out there and spend time with people and Mm. connect with them and just being able to connect, like you said, connecting with people nowadays is so hard because of social media and stuff that Mm. it's really not as connection as before when I'm on, usually I'm on my phone, like I'm doing business stuff on my phone Mm -hmm. on social media all the time. When I'm golfing, that phone's gone. Like I don't respond to any text messages. I don't respond to anything. People probably are like, what is happening? Cause usually I'm 
like Quick. constantly yeah. like responds. I don't respond to any, and I haven't been golfing here in Nashville yet. And um, well, that's gonna have to change. I'll, I know. Have to, I'll have to change that. Oh, cool. No, I like I like I said, it's been two months. So I don't really know where everything is. But when I was in Pittsburgh and golfing around there, it was just my phone went away, and it was just a moment, but also a moment for myself where I could just turn it all off. Yeah, that's a major a major part of what I'm uh, I'm big into is like what it takes for you to be a great artist is a battery drainer because mm-hmm. you're putting so much of you yeah. on the line. So you have to recharge. So golf, it's a, it is a recharge because you're in nature. Yeah. Generally speaking, it's, you're in a beautiful surrounding. You're challenged by a game that yeah. has multiple variables. It's never the same. So challenging. <laughs> yeah. It's never the same any day or any shot to be at right. for that matter. And that clears your mind. And depending on what type of emotion golf evokes in you, which would be, that was an awesome shot, or maybe I shouldn't play golf. I know, (laughs) right. (laughs) Golf's got got a very bad sense of humor. But it's like like music generally comes from pain or love. Mm -hmm. And golf, fortunately for us, provides both. Yeah. In the same minute. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, it's so good. So, you know, and and I've played in a lot of golf in in Pittsburgh, you know, Mm. in like Seven Springs Resort and Oakmont, Fox Chapel. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh, that, right. So, what was your favorite course when you played in Mm. Pittsburgh? Wow. Um, I think Oakmont. Oakmont? Yeah. Yeah, I think Oakmont. And then when I was playing in Maryland, I was fortunate enough that I lived by um, Havre de Grace and Bully oh, Rock. Yeah. So I played the Bully Rock course, and I was there when the LPGA rolled through. Yeah. And I don't know if they still go to that course anymore. But it was a great golf course. It was an amazing golf course, and it made me feel real awful sometimes. Oh, well, Oakmont, there's, I don't think there's a golf course in the world that can make yeah. you more oh. helplessly. Because uh, the greens, well... They're, yeah. they're like, you could probably have a better chance of putting on the hood of your car yeah, than, oh gosh. than putting it Also, um, the University of Notre Dame, I went and played oh, there yeah. with my dad and that is a beautiful course. And yeah. that was so much fun to play there. And, um, very humbling as well. All of, all of golf courses are humbling because oh, yeah. like you said, it, it, every shot and all of that, it could be the same hole on different day. And it's yeah. just like. What happened now? So. Yeah. What's the what's the lowest round of golf you ever had? Oh gosh, I don't even know. <laughs> I can't remember. There was times where I wouldn't even keep track of my dad. And when I was playing with my dad, he would never let me use a golf cart. I always had to, had to walk. walk. Yeah. I had to walk, and he said it built character, and it definitely did by the end of the day. But um, no, I mean, I'm not um, really amazing or anything. But there was this one time where I was one under par, and I was like. <laughs> Yes, I celebrated like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. I love yeah. that. Uh, man, yeah. That's to me. That's what makes that's what makes golf so great. Is that you never know what it's similar to what you do yeah. for a living. You ha- if you get expectations, the the gods will smack you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in, yes. in just about in everything, but that's a, that's fascinating. Well, I'm not going to talk that much disparagingly about your fact you went to Pittsburgh, but um, <laughs> uh, being a Nittany Lion. Uh, but oh, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, that went back when, probably before you were born, Pitt was a massive power with Tony yeah. Dorsett, and then followed that by Dan Marino. Yeah, and I grew up right when Dan Marino was at Pitt, mm-hmm. and in those days, Pitt Penn State that was twice a they huge, played one too. Yeah. 
and that, that they were my dad's least favorite team, so thus that made them my least favorite team because I yeah, didn't have a choice. Of course. Um, but when you think back to maybe like college football mm-hmm. in your youth and being in Pittsburgh, what do you remember about like the University of Pittsburgh? Because you went there, but I mean, yeah. what's the, what's the feel and the vibe at, at Pitt? I. So I'm just a huge college football fan in general. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love college football, and I wish that college football right now was bigger at Pitt. Um, I wish it was bigger. I when. Penn State and Pitt are playing. They were playing again, and those games are huge, right? Mm-hmm. There's the Panther Pit, which is have oh, yeah. all the kids there, and it's a ton of fun. And I would go there every every football Saturday, and um, those games are huge. But unfortunately, like some other games, like they don't fill it up because they play at Heinz Field, yeah. so it's hard because we don't have a stadium on campus. Um, but gosh, it is the most fun going to Pitt games, especially right. Um, I forget what year, when Nathan Peterman was quarterback. Mm -hmm. It was the first year, I think, that um, Coach Narduzzi was there. And they played this game against Syracuse, and it was 76, 72 or something was the final score. And it was just high offense, no defense. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just so much fun to watch. I am just, um, it was just so much fun. So being able, and I was a season ticket holder because while I was a grad student at Pitt, I still went to all the games. And I'm just a huge sports fan in general, Mm -hmm. like hockey, I love hockey. Um, uh, it's just a ton of fun and being in Pittsburgh that was great because of the Penguins but um, I moved around a lot as a kid so I'm not like tied to any team because my dad was in the Navy so um, I moved around a lot as a kid so I have like favorite teams everywhere and I just love the sports in general so I can appreciate Penn State because they are Oh gosh, I hate saying this, but they are a great football (laughs) team a great football they're a great football program and um, no but it was a ton of fun going to those college games and something that I will never forget. Yeah. Well, as a person who's been there and you love hockey, what's the impact of Mario Lemieux wow. on, on the city? Yeah. And, and huge... Obviously in hockey, too. I mean, he, if he's not the greatest player, he doesn't probably get the recognition as the greatest player because Gretzky gets that. Right. But I think that Gretzky would say that if, he, if he's 1A, then Mario Lemieux's 1B. Yeah. Because no. those are the two right. most prolific. When they stepped onto the ice, you had to know where they were every time they right. were on the ice, both of them. No. What's Mario Lemieux mean to Pittsburgh hockey? And like, as a fan, what, what, do you, what yeah. does Mario Lemieux mean? Well, he's a great player. So obviously I look up to him and everything that he's done in his career, like coming back from cancer mm-hmm. and playing and just his foundation in Pittsburgh is really big. Um, pediatric cancer and how they're helping families in Pittsburgh. And they put on um, the Penguins 5K, um, no, um, 6.6K because of his number. Oh, I remember, and I've right. ran it a few times. And he's standing there at the finish line giving out high fives. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I high five Mario Lemieux. <laughs> because he is just an amazing player. And more, he's just an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an amazing person, and he really cares about the city. And you can tell because of how much time and effort he puts in to just helping out people in the city, having his foundations, the the. Lemieux Foundation in the city and then also um, what the Pittsburgh Penguins do as a team for like people in the city and how their charity work and all that fun stuff. But they're a great team and they're fun to watch. Yes. And then, of course, it, it's it's always fascinating. Like the Penguins have a, a Pittsburgh Steelers-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a reputation. They keep on getting. Yeah. So they got Sidney Crosby, who's probably, if he's not the best player right now, he's certainly in a very small conversation point Mm -hmm. of the best players. It's amazing how 
if if it's run if the organization is run correctly, yeah. it brings people in. People in. So Sidney Crosby obviously was a draft pick, but at the end of the day, he keeps staying because he right. could go anywhere for any price, and mm-hmm. he stays there. When you think of what Sidney Crosby, because he probably is the more impactful name right now, right now mm-hmm. in, in Pittsburgh. What does when the community? What do they feel about Sidney Crosby compared to maybe Lemieux? All right. Um, no, I mean, I think that he's the next Lemieux for that city, right? Yeah. Um, or he's on that kind of level. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He really is a great person, like a great human. Um, he hasn't, you know, there's not anything in the news like um, other, you know, other sports players mm-hmm. doing crazy things. Yeah. He's never been one of them. Yeah. Um, so just him playing the sport and playing it the way it should be played and just being, um, he seems like such, I haven't met him in person. Mm -hmm. I saw him in line at the airport once and like took a quick selfie, like a sneaky one, but I think he saw me. So surprisingly big guy. (laughs) Is he a surprisingly? No, No. he's actually not. Honestly, when I've seen hockey players or interact with them, surprisingly, most of them are not like, they're like kind of a little bit shorter Mm -hmm. and because they have to skate, like, do you know what I mean? Like, and there's muscles, like they're very lean and I'm just like, wow, this is crazy because you think they would be um i think there are some bigger like i think um the la kings used to have some big players and oh, then yeah. um well, lemieux's um, not a small guy no no, no. and so is yarma yager yeah is. i think is, is yager still playing he's like 104 no i don't think he's still playing but he did come back to pittsburgh for a little while i mean yarma yager with another goal my way yeah how is he still I know, playing? I, I'm just, there are some athletes who defy time, right? Yeah. Who are just like, keep themselves, like Tom Brady. Brady yeah. You would never know how old he is. And he's one of the most amazing, amazing people. And so it's really funny because in the band, we all are come, like, we're all from, we're from Pittsburgh. That's where we met each other, but we all have like different sports allegiances. Sure. Like my one guitarist, Ryan, he is a huge New England Patriots fan, like huge Tom Brady fan. And then my bassist, Jordan, he is a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So they just like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But for Christmas, I got, um, <laughs> I got Ryan, the Tom Brady method book. And honestly, I was reading it myself and there are some really cool things in there about how he mentally prepares himself mm-hmm. for everything. Um, and it's just crazy how, Honestly, he's just, he defies time. Like there's some athletes like that who just defy time. Like, um, I feel like Chara for the Boston Bruins has been around forever and he's a big guy and he is still like a pretty, pretty cool player. So it all starts in the mind though. It does. Yeah. Everything starts in the mind. And and then one of my other favorite topics to talk about is, is wine. And and after our conversation, I know that you may not be as well versed in wine, but you you like it. I love it. (laughs) And uh, and it's art as well, because what what that wine tastes like today won't it won't be exactly what it tastes like tomorrow because it's alive in the bottle until you expose it to oxygen and it it begins a slow death, (laughs) uh, whether it's consumed or sits in that bottle still. Yeah. But one of the things that's fascinating about wine is that obviously the, with the effects of alcohol, it takes away some inhibitions and it relaxes you and it opens you up for conversation. And in many ways, in the world that you're going to live in, you're going to be mm-hmm. meeting new people all right. the time. So to know you're like, it's a conversation starter because almost everybody who appreciates it, like they have a similar, like, Ooh, that was, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or that's good. And it allows people to express 
themselves through an art that also has you know brings good times with it and whatever so when what do you look forward to the most when you're having a glass of wine is it just the 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 chill factor yeah. in it or just not knowing where the moment's going to take you i guess um maybe both yeah. i love usually when i'm like drinking a glass of wine i'm very relaxed yeah or in search <laughs> yeah. of relaxation or in search or yes 100% <laughs> um yeah so i think both of those things are what it kind of is for me. And honestly, I was listening to your one podcast. Was it Elise? Elise Lauren. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's when I realized I know nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I know nothing about wine. So, um, no, she's really cool. Okay. So you, you, her wine store is over by the, the Green Hills movie theater. Oh, the, okay. By the mall. Okay. So it's yeah. table three. She used to be the manager of that restaurant. Okay. And she said, you know what? I'm off the restaurant deal. I'm I'm a, I'm strictly going to be wine. So her wine store is attached side, right with table three, and you can see it as you walk to go okay. get your tickets to the, to the movie theater. That's awesome. She would she loves obviously you can tell she loves to talk about wine. Yeah. She would step you you could walk in and say, "Here's what I have. I have X amount of dollars. Yeah. Whether it's twenty, eighty, whatever. Yeah. Help pick me. something. <laughs> pick something for Help me. Help me, please. Yeah, because <laughs> she is truly. One of the most remarkable people in this town because, yeah. first of all, she has a great grasp of food and wine. So she's a master of pairing. Right. And she understands each region and why certain spices enhance something in the, the meat or the vegetable that then also brings out something in the wine. So, you, you like, you have your first sip of wine, you cut into your first piece of whatever, and you put it in your mouth and you take another sip of wine, and all of a sudden the wine tasted different. You're like, wow. Whoa, what was that? That was weird. It brings out something, you know, and it there and there's where you start to see why the French and the Italians and we're America's headed that way, but we're so far behind yeah. the understanding of, of the, the chemistry of food and wine together yeah. that it's something that I would expect at some point, if you love wine, it'll, it'll grab a hold of you like music does. Yeah. And be like, wow, because it's, it will recharge you. When you have that right combination of people, food, and wine, it is what almost always ties together big events, and it's a major recharge. What is your and you, there's, no, there's no what is your favorite wine? Oh, cool. Are you a Moscato? I am a Moscato fan, and um, yes, a hundred percent. It's fair. Like, I like sweeter wines, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I haven't tried. Like yeah. everything, and sure. I definitely have to go in there and ask her, like, to take pity on my poor, non <laughs> no, knowledgeable wine soul, yeah. um, because I do love wine. There's um, Carly Pierce, who is a country singer. She has a song called "Hide the Wine," and I love seeing it out because I'm like, I will never hide the wine, <laughs> 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 ever, uh, never hide it from me. I become a crazy person. Uh, but it. no, yeah, um, I'm definitely have to go there and ask her to take pity on me because I want to try it all. Well, at some point, you know, it's it's weird because if you like sweet wines, and then there's a lot of great German sweet wines. Really? Like Gewürztraminers, okay. and they're brilliant. Like, so there's an, a nice place to, to go. Yeah, to start at. Yeah. yeah, is German whites. And then as you trend towards, like, what would be considered white burgundies, mm-hmm. you know, in France, the, the wine that you buy is, you don't know the grape, you have to know the region. So burgundy is, like, the, the Chardonnay okay. of 
France, okay? So that you just know it by region. It'll, you'll evolve out of sweetness naturally. Sweetness will be good, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, somebody pours you a Pinot Noir. And you're like, wow, this is a little different. It's got, it's, it's not, it's drier, certainly. Yeah. And then it'll about one third of the glass through, you will have forgotten that you've ever had Moscato. <laughs> Oh. Right? No joke. And then okay. you'll drink that, and then you'll be on a Pinot kick for a while. And then, for whatever reason, somebody will pour you an Australian Shiraz. And that'll be the first time you've been hit, hammered with high alcohol, high fruit, high tannin. Boom. You're like, whatever <laughs> this is. It's um, what I need. That's <laughs> what I need. And then you'll constantly evolve through the more historically great wines. Yeah. And then you'll be where... I, I'm, I know you'll want to be, which is, I'm in the mood for a Spanish Rioja today. And then the next day you'll be like, I'm in a mood for a, a California Chardonnay today. Yeah. And that'll be eerily similar to how people go through your playlist. Okay. Today, I'm going to listen to this. Today, okay. I'm going to listen to... <laughs> and that's how you get started. Right. And then as the playlist, you for, you get wrapped in the music, and now they're on the 13th song that you've... You're like, they've... When they're, they're listening to your music, they're getting a Chardonnay, a Shiraz, a Cabernet, a Bordeaux. And they're getting it all, too. So just remember, it's exactly the same as your music. Just you drink one and listen to the other. Wow. They evolve. Yeah. And what style you are, is you can, it's parallel. Right. And it's all about, and it will evoke emotion in you, which is what I think could be just something, just like that pokes you. To like give you something. You, yeah. don't, you don't really ever know where life's going to go, but be open to the experience. That sounds know? awesome. Yeah. So to me, I, I think it's so cool. And, and uh, one of my favorite parts of being able to do a podcast and to be able to basically what I love about this is that I get a chance to hear your story and what makes you great. And if I can just pinch off a little something that you do and put it in my front pocket, cool. I'm better than I was yesterday and that's the evolutionary process that I go about which is I'm not trying to be anything I know that Virgil's recognized as a golf teacher and probably more notably golf swing than anything else mm -hmm. but I don't, that's not I don't want to be identified as that right and I love to ask questions and communicate and be like hmm I like that and so to me when when you sense of where you, you're trying to go and you bring in all the exterior pieces of the the scene, like what's the arena, auditorium, yeah. bar mm -hmm. like, what are the kind of people that are here? Mm -hmm. It evokes something in you. Yeah. And the more diverse places you get in, the first time you're in a place that's not what you're accustomed to, it can rattle you a little bit. Yeah. But at the end of the day, probably by song two, you're past that that fear and you're back into your your zone again. And at some point, you will learn that from within, you're in control. Yeah. Okay, that's your control. What you can't control drunk Fred over here <laughs> and you you can't control chatty Kathy over yeah. here to the to the left. Because in some ways, engaging it makes it worse. Yeah, and that's where you'll, you'll security be right. really helpful. <laughs> but um, 
the last question I have for you, unless you say something here that makes me ask the bonus question. Oh, okay. Hopefully I do. Is that if this one day you get the dream mm -hmm. and you're big enough to fill out a football stadium yeah. like Kenny Chesney or Garth Brooks or Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. who's going to open for you? And what venue do you want that first Gosh. superstar moment to be? Goodness. Wow. Okay. This is a little bit. This is a toughie. Yeah, of course. A toughie, is. but a goodie. Um, wow. Um, there are so many places. So many places. Like I said, goals of mine would be playing at the Opry. I would love to play at Bridgestone. Love to. Yeah. And it's nice because, um, and I, there's been moments of artists that I have looked up to you, like Casey Musgraves and Marina Lambert, who have sold out Bridgestone Arena. And that would be something that I would aspire to you, mm. especially here in Nashville, knowing how amazing artists are and people coming out and listening to your music here in Nashville, that's something different. Do you know what I mean? Cause they oh, can go yeah. listen to everyone. Mm -hmm. They could go to the bar on a Friday night and listen to a random band playing at, um, a random honky tonk, you yep. know, and those bands are amazing. So, um, probably here in Nashville, yeah. if I could have a venue here in Nashville and have people buy my tickets here. Who'd open for you? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, hmm. I have so many people that, um, I'll give you two acts. They'll be like a, you know, <laughs> when I think of like my, my favorite concert I've ever been to, like when it comes to the anticipation and the buildup, there yeah. was nothing like 1992 faith, no more Metallica guns and roses. Wow. I saw the first two shows and the anticipation of Faith Newell was an emerging act. Mm -hmm. Their second album had just come out. The first one had Epic on it, and they were huge. And then Metallica may have actually been a better band than Guns N' Roses, just that Guns N' Roses was the most famous band right. in the world. So, like, I'll give you a Faith No More and a Metallica yeah. if you're a Guns N' Roses. So. Well, I mean, don't say that Metallica is better than Guns N' Roses because Chase right here is a huge Guns N' Roses well, fan. Here's I know. the thing. It's like, I'm a big, I'm a, <laughs> Axel was the only person that spoke to me as a kid. Yeah. The amount of, the amount of F-U in him. Like, yeah. I don't want you to tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you and I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Coming from small town PA and a little bit of a mindset issue of you're never going to get out of this town. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're, you know, I'm going to be stuck going, maybe not even going to college, and it's going to be work, go to the bar, come home, rewind. Yeah. Go, you know, I couldn't stand that, and it was, I could sense the pigeonholing of me as a kid. And, like, he just busted me out. Because he stepped on stage. He didn't care what you thought. He didn't care what that person thought. He was going to do it. And he said, I'm going to show up at, I'm going to show up two hours late. Because I'm not ready to play yet. <laughs> and then when I'm done playing, and I'm going to get fined because we broke the curfew and noise ordinance law, I'm paying it, not you. But we're going to play the show the way I want it done. And we're going to blow your head off yeah. with it. I really thought that that was... <laughs> that was cool. That was cool. Like Metallica, <laughs> they had their own way, but they were just, they were not, they were they were forceful with their music, but they yeah. were understated in their breath, like yeah. what they passed on about mm -hmm. themselves. Guns N' Roses was like, 
you know, they embraced rebelliousness. Yeah. I mean, I am a huge Guns N' Roses oh. fan too. Love them. So, I, you know, the, I don't know yeah. if you know that. I'm sure, I'm sure Chase Yeah, Chase probably does. The first show of the Faith and More Metallica Guns N' Roses show was when Axel was still in prison in St. Louis. What? <laughs> for inciting the riot. And they, so when Metallica came on stage, before they came on stage, the promoter of the event said that due to the fact that as of right now, Axel is still in the St. Louis Penitentiary. Metallica is going to make up for it. And they're going to play in a super long set. There's a, I'd say there's a pretty good chance that Guns won't be playing tonight. So Metallica literally played three hours and 15 minutes. Oh, my gosh. It yeah. was 100 degrees. It was so hot. It was unbelievable. And they crushed it. That's the first time I ever saw them live. I was like, wow. I was not thinking that they were going to be that amazing. So the... It, if guns didn't take the stage by 11 p.m., they couldn't play. Mm -hmm. So at 10.45, the guy comes out and says, if you are taking the Metro to, oh, it was at RFK where the Redskins played. If you took the Metro to get here and you don't get on it by 1 a.m., you're in big trouble because you won't be able to get out of here. Keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. If Guns isn't here in 15 minutes, it won't make a difference. But just keep that in mind. Yeah. At about 10.53, the lights in the stadium went off, and a helicopter flew over the stadium. Oh, my goodness. And it landed. And at 10.58, you saw a lit cigarette walk right up to the microphone. <laughs> and it's like, you know where you are? <laughs> it was electricity. I think we got done at like 2.10. That is Crazy. I got home at 6.30 in the morning. And, I, and when Faith and More took the stage, it was 101. When yeah. Metallica got off stage, it was 97. It was so hot. It was unbelievable. Wow. I was the, that was the deadest that I can ever remember <laughs> being. <laughs> that uh, is so cool. So after we segued off of my guns, Metallica, Faith and More story, you get two bands to open oh for you. So I get, I get you two. Who would you like? Think about it. You get yeah. a chance to be a spectator, kind of. Who would you like to see that would inspire you to then go out and rock your two minute and thirty minute, Gosh. two hour and thirty minute show? Like entertainer wise, there's so many amazing. Like we've talked about Taylor Swift. Like I love Taylor Swift. I love Kelsey Ballard. I've looked up to Kelly Clarkson since I was little. Mm -hmm. I mean, one, she has a great name, right, Kelly? Yeah, so I, I mean, mean <laughs> what can we say? Superstar, right? Um, super, yeah. So Kelly Clarkson is amazing, and her, she's so powerful, and her songs are so powerful. Um, oh wow! I mean, I even love like crazy, like Fall Out Boy. Uh, They're, I mean, going back to like middle school, like Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, like all these crazy songs. But I mean, people who have really, really inspired me and not just about um, uh, like their shows and everything. Like I said, Dolly Parton and mm -hmm. um, like Carrie Underwood and just amazing artists who are just. Wouldn't it be really cool? Let's, let's just say, let's just. Not to the short, let's just say it's five years. Yeah. Five years from now, you've, you've made it. Yeah. Wouldn't it be really cool to have Dolly Parton be the opener? Gosh. For like, because she's honored to be with you, and she's listening to this podcast, and she said, you know what, she's really, she's spoke so kindly. I'm going to come out and do a little eight-song set. Oh, gosh. I would just love, to, I would never, ever, ever, ever have her. I would just love to sing with her. Like, do you wouldn't know right? She awesome? would never be an opener ever because she's an amazing she, superstar. She could come on and say, I'm going to bring on my opening act. Oh, she's going she's gonna to sing my, my new number one song. 
Oh gosh, she is, she is amazing. And honestly, just if you go back and look at videos of her and it's really has inspired me to really start really focusing on guitar. She's an amazing guitar player. She's an amazing songwriter and she plays guitars with these long, long fingernails and because she is just fancy as anything. I have no idea how she does it. She is amazing. amazing. I grew up on her and Kenny Rogers would be doing their show. Yeah. I mean, that's like. That's like scraping the the memory file. That's like one of my <laughs> early. Right? That was a every. I think it was on Sunday nights. Yeah, Dolly and Kenny Rogers. My mom loved Kenny Rogers. Oh. Yeah, those are the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time Don't, out of no, your schedule seriously. to come thank on you. come on on the verge and share your story with my listeners. And I, I wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you Saturday morning at 6 a.m. Yes. <laughs> I will see you then. Uh, well, have a, have a great day. Thank and, uh, you. I'll you too. Soon. Thank you. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education.